Tony Fidel. Tony Fidel. Tony Fidel, co-creator of the iPhone as well as the iPod. He also co-founded Nest. Hey, I'm Tony Fidel. I'm an author. I'm an investor. And I happen to make some devices you might have used in the past. So a lot of the young people now are talking about things like Web3 and Metaverse. And Fuck the Metaverse. This planet is the only thing we got. If we don't take all these brilliant brains and apply it to existential crises, not the Metaverse, because I don't know what it's solving, you're part of the problem that's sustaining the climate crisis that we have. Were you offended the day that Steve Jobs deleted you on stage from his phone? Do you have any regrets? Do I have regrets? I think I have one. I have one regret that I didn't go to see Steve before he died when he requested me to see him. And I waited a, a few weeks too long to go and see him and I wasn't able to have that last you know, that last discussion with him. And that, I think, was a regret. Wow. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Perhaps we could start off by you kindly telling the audience, when you first meet someone and they don't know who you are, they don't know this incredible history that you've got, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I, you know, I try to stay low, uh, stay down low. And actually, I have a new, I have a new title now, and I haven't really used it yet. So I can, I can say, uh, hey, I'm Tony Fidel. I'm an author. Uh, I'm an investor, and I happen to make some uh, devices you might have used or, or purchased in the past. Oh, that's funny. And 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 I think that uh, you've reinvented yourself quite a few times. I mean, a bit like you've reinvented. I guess you reinvented the Sony Walkman. You you reinvented the thermostat. <laughs> I feel like you've reinvented yourself quite a few times. And 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 is that part of product design? Um, it's well, it's definitely part of product design. But you should you're going to have different versions of yourself as you grow. Um, as you grow older, you know, I look at there's a chapter in the book called Three Versions. Um, and that that chapter is all about you know when you make the first version of yourself or of, of a product, it's mostly opinion based decision because you're doing something the world's never seen. If you're doing something really different, right? And then you have the second version who refines and, you know, and then the third version and so on. And I, for me, it's been each decade has been a different version of myself. And, you know, when you're younger and you get your first version of yourself and probably around college or something like that, you know, all you have is your opinion. What do you think you want to do? And until you've done, figured out uh, and done a few things, you figure out what you do want to do by finding the things you don't want to do by doing them, right? And so you have to go through this 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 whole thing of like, oh, I think I'm going to like this. And you try it and then you see if it works. And if not, you change, right? And so I, my life has been really in 10-year chunks. And I think I'm on version four now of myself. And, um, and uh, yeah, I'm that old. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you don't always think you're, you know, if you always don't go back and rethink, you know, who you are, what you do, what you do, you know, you can get trapped. And, you know, if you're not growing, what's the alternative? There's no stasis in this world. You're either growing or you're dying. So continuing to learn, push yourself and trying things that, uh, you know, even though you might have success in a previous decade or previous version of yourself, trying new things and you might fail, but it doesn't wipe away the successes or what have you done in the previous years. That's how we get to who we are. You know, think about this. Um, how do we learn to walk? We learn to walk by failing a thousand times before we learn to walk. Is that a bad thing? No, our parents, our, our, our environment around us all cheering us on to learn to walk. Go for it, go for it, right? But we failed a lot of times. 
And it's okay, that's what you're gonna do, whether you're 20 or you're 30 or you're 40, hopefully you just don't make the same mistakes twice, right? So you learn from them. But failure is our best teacher. I think a lot of people listening, I know, because I've spoken to, you know, I've got 450,000 followers on TikTok, for example, I know a lot of these people. Congratulations, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel very honored, actually. And, and I feel like it's a younger generation of people who do fear failure. School teaches them uh, that failure is bad and to, to be different is bad. We all know the school system is, is, is broken. But I, I it's wonder- It's utterly if, backwards from life. Totally you have to backwards. take a test and you have to pass every single thing. You, you study, you have to take the test and you must pass. If not, you failed. And life is exactly the opposite. And there are no, you know, especially if you're doing something new, there's nothing to read, nothing to meme off of to, you know, there's things you can learn, of course. But if you're doing something that matters, it's going to be different than what the status quo is. And it's okay. You know, I think I think people are scared to to fail, though, even we, we can say this to them, you know, as, as two successful people, I, I've, I've come from 15 years old homeless, you know, it, it, we can, but we can now look back and say these things. But I wonder how to translate it. One of the lines I really like that you say in your book, and I think is so true, is this do fail, learn. But how can you give that knowledge of failure to people when they've been programmed in their subconscious that you shouldn't fail? Well, how do we unlock that for people? Uh, look, I, I think, you know, we have to go back to first principles, just like I was talking about the you know, learning to walk, learning to talk, all of these things that we do naturally through our just by growing up. School didn't in, school was invented. The school system we know of was invented. It didn't it didn't exist in, in en masse like it did a thousand years ago, fifteen hundred years ago. Right. It's we all had a do failure and we worked with a we were apprentices. Most people were apprentices to someone else who had learned. Right. And you learn and you you fail in the apprentice. If they have the right structure around you, they allow you. They understand that you're trying to learn. And so you have to learn by doing. And so I think we need to revisit um, how we think about school and how we think about failure and understand that, sure, there's one way to learn, but there's one intrinsic way we really learn. And that is through the failure. And you only fail if you give up. That's the other thing. If you give up at what you're trying to do, so you, yes, you failed. Okay, fine. But if you gave up, then you're truly failing. If you didn't give up and you learned from it and you go on and, 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 and do something else the next time and you learn again, you know, that's a normal cycle of, uh, of, of learning, at least for me. And it's okay. And, you know, failure sounds like such a harsh word, but I, I don't see it that way. As long as you're learning through each one and continuing to move on, you might even be doing something different, but you learn that that's not what you want to do, or that's what your, your talents lie or what have you. So you do something else. Okay, fine. You know, like I said, you only learn what you, you love to do by doing a lot of things you don't like doing. Mm. And, and I think this is linked to fear, isn't it? There's an instinct in us to survive. And, and when, when we feel like we might fail, we have an instant fear mechanism, mechanism that protects us. So I wanted to go sure. back. You've been asked this question many times, but I wanted to touch on this moment of fear. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper than other people have asked you this before. You, you tried to quit Apple three times, you said in your book. And right. uh, the, the third time you were successful. And uh, for a lot of people on this planet, we're grateful that you did because you then went on to do Nest. But I, I feel like there must have been a lot of fear in those moments. Okay, first, if you don't feel nervousness, if you don't feel butterflies in your stomach, if, you are, if you're not fearful of something you're doing, you're not trying hard enough. 
Okay. You're just kind of going through the motions. So when I was writing the book, you know how much fear I had and, and, you know, all the way up leading to, you know, today our, you know, our podcast recording, you know, um, you, you have fear because I'm, you know, putting yourself out there and you're doing something really new and different and you're trying to improve you, your status in life, as well as the, maybe the people who you're trying to help as well. And so if you don't have that natural sense of fear, you're probably not trying hard enough. And or you're not paying attention, which is a whole nother thing, you know, but I think you need to have that. That keeps you on edge. It keeps you, um, uh, you know, very in touch with those details to make sure you're like, oh, but it's not it's not ruminating. It's not like, oh, my God, I'm you're so panicked that you can't make another move. That's not that's not healthy. We're just talking as putting out there and go, oh, what if this? What if that? Oh, oh. And so it makes you think about all the different angles. So I think you need to have that fear um, to a certain extent, positive, to, to motivate, or at least that's at least me, right? That's what I've always had. And, and so when I was going through any kind of job transition, you know, um, and creating my, the, my next job, so to speak, I've always had fear. Because I've always pushed myself to go into places I didn't know, I, you know, I didn't know what I, how to do it. I had never done it before, right? But, uh, you know, I think I always say to my, say to people or ask people who come and, and, and interview with me when I want to hire them or something, I said, what do you want to learn? You know, basically, how are you going to challenge yourself? I want to know what they want to want to learn because that means it's going to drive their their natural curiosity going to drive their work product. They're going to think about more details. The last thing is I want is a comfortable expert. Somebody's like, "I know everything." It's like, "Well, we're doing something the world's never done before." So, how are you an expert at it? Right? You might be expert at certain things, you can bring that to the table, but we're all doing stuff that no one's expert at. So, you know, knock that off, knock that chip off your shoulder and, and get down here and, and understand we're all going to be nervous and anxious and we're going to do things that we've never done before. And that's what you, that's what I really like to see. So when you quit that third time, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Steve Jobs called you up and tried to talk you out of it. But how did you have the conviction to follow through? Well, I didn't, you know, whenever I, I quit, I didn't know what I was going to do next. It's not like I had something lined up, okay? Every job I've ever had, every job I've had, um, except for general magic, which was when I got out of school, um, I created the next position I wanted to do, right? Whether that was build a team inside of Philips, build my own startup, build a, a new product division inside of inside of Apple. I always wanted to create the thing that I wanted to do. So I wasn't just taking something that someone was giving me. I, I was innovating the product as well as what I'm going to be doing inside of that, right? And so I always think about, um, am I doing the thing that I love to do, right? Am I gonna be asked to work really hard on something I don't like or in an environment I don't like? And why am I going to put myself in jail for a paycheck? I'm not going to bring my best self. If I can't bring my best self and I'm just sitting there upset all the time each day going in because I'm doing this thing, I am going to hurt the team. I'm going to hurt the products we're working on. And ultimately, I'll hurt my reputation because I want to deliver the best of whatever it is. And that means I need to be fully engaged and believe in the environment and the people around me and the thing I'm working on. And if I can't do that, 
I'm going to leave and let somebody else do that who sees this as a much better opportunity for them because I've learned over time to trust myself that I'll find the way even if I don't have the way and I don't have the map. I'll find it sooner or later. And there are many times that I just left myself in a lurch. Um, but, you know, I just trusted my gut um, and, you know, and I guess hustled in the, in, the, in the right sense of the word and hustled my way into finding the, the, the next path to go on to. I think sometimes there's a conflict in the, the kind of two bits of advice. You know, one element of it is, you know, follow through. The kind of right. full tilt is oh, how sure. you put it in your book, which I which I really love. I think it's not the follow through. Don't let people down. You know, your reputation is important. And that, you know, know when to quit. And so right. where's that line? Well, first, you have to try all the positive ways of trying to fix the problem. Right. So look at it yourself. Am I looking at this incorrectly? So talk to people around. Right. And get feedback. Talk to um, talk to mentor. Right. Am I am I crazy about this? What have you, you know, uh, might be a spouse or a partner or whatever. But you got to get some outside people, somebody who's not as biased or inside the inside the day to day details. Um, you try all kinds of different ways. Hey, did you see this? Talk to your manager. Should we do this? Can we do this? Can we change this up? Right. And so you try all kinds of different positive, constructive ways. Right. So if you're unhappy, you just don't quit. You have to. You can be unhappy, articulate why you're unhappy, and then give, give possible solutions to fixing that for either yourself or for the team or the product or what have you. And if you've, if you've exhausted all of those angles, then you go, okay, this is not going to work out, right? But you just can't be like a, a storming little baby and go, rah, 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 rah. I don't like it. Fix it. You know, you can't do that. You have to come with the, the I, I like employees and I like people who are on the team who come not just with criticisms or critiques. They come with possible solutions that we can discuss and brainstorm over because, you know, they see more than, you know, who I see. And I, I'm like, well, you might be the best person to fix the problem because you see more of the details than I do. So let's discuss it. That's what I like to have is those kinds of things. So you just don't get up and quit just because you woke up on the wrong side of the bed one day. And nah, you got to work as a professional. And when you quit, you know you quit for a real reason. Because you know why? When you go to your next thing, they're going to ask you, well, why'd you leave? Or the next thing, four or five things down the road. Why'd you leave that? Why'd you leave Apple? Tony, you were at Apple. You worked for Steve Jobs for nine years. Why would you leave? And so you can be very clear on those reasons because I, you know, one, like I said, one thing I ask when I hire new people is what do you want to learn? The other one is I, I say, what's your story? I want them to tell the story of their life and I want to get inside how they made decisions and the options they had and why they went a certain direction versus the other ones and how they ruled those things out because I want to see how they think because those are those moments under stress. When they have to make a decision, like if they're always like, well, I worked for six months while I was at the other job, finding my next job and blah, blah, blah. Really? Oh, okay. You know, like, well, why was that? Or they say, oh, well, my parents told me I should be a lawyer. I'm like, what? You, you did something and you didn't even think about it yourself. You just did it because that's what your family thought you should do. Really? That's probably not a person I want to put on my team. A, a, a very important insight there and I, I i think that there's also an element of um self-sabotage isn't there sometimes i mean we oh, I, sure. I know myself i think i don't know if you had this but sometimes that nine years at apple is actually a long time a company at that pace that that sounds like a 30-year stint for most yeah I mean, the amount of hours yeah. you must have put in i used You've to have a hair when i company. started apple i had hair when i started apple <laughs> <laughs> where did the hair go 
This is the big question. Is it? Where did the hair go? But it all burned off. Do you think? Do you think? Um, do you think that working with people like Steve Jobs is infectious, and and you you end up being more like them, or do you? I mean, you talk a little bit about in your book about work life balance and this full tilt, and almost, and I and I agree with it, but it's it's a very delicate subject, which is like you know, work, just work, get on with it. Get your head down. Make something happen. But for right. a lot of people, that's hard, right? Because they want balance. They want the weekends off. They want the evenings to themselves. How, how did you? How did you achieve that and navigate that? Especially with a family, you know, it's not. It's not just you, is it? Right. You know, it's it's not just you. Now, look, you to get balance. It's people think of this. Oh, like it's going to be exactly thirty-five or forty hours a week. No, that's not what I think of as balance. And then everything else is after it. What balance is, is you're swaying between enough time socially and outside of work with your, your, your life, as well as the time you need to, to put into work to do something different. So yes, there might be weekends. There might be, you know, there might be weekends. There might be sustained month where you're working really hard six days a week. You shouldn't work seven. I don't care what you're doing. You shouldn't work seven because you're going to drive yourself nuts. I did. You know, General Magic, everyone should watch the movie because it was a spectacular uh, documentary all about uh, a failure of building the iPod uh, or it's, yeah, iPhone to 15 years too soon. Um, and uh, and that's where I was socially, mentally, physically unhealthy. Right. Because I was just put everything into it. I've learned that you can't do that seven days a week, no matter how hard and you think you've cracked it or you're like you're at your wits end. You will drive yourself crazy. You need to get some balance. Now, that's not 40 hours a week by no means. OK, even when you're, you're you know, you have a team and everything's going well, if you're doing only 40 hours, a week, especially as a leader, you're probably not doing enough, um, you know, unless you found some magic formula. You know, the Google money tree or something. Um, <laughs> but no, no, seriously, you have to, the way I do it is like, I make sure I use the tools. So we have lots of tools to write things down and, and capture, whether that's meetings or capture action items or, or your thoughts or new ideas. You just write them down. Because what I found early on in my career is I spent probably 40 to 50% of my, my waking hours worrying about thinking about the things I needed to do so I didn't forget them. You just sit there and you think about, I got to do that. I got to do that. I got to do that. It's like, just write them down and come back to them so you can take that extra energy just remembering what you need to do. You use the tools to help you remember and then you can just do the work, right? Um, that's one thing. The other one is, you know, you have to in your schedule each week, block out the time to think. You shouldn't always have to think every waking moment and then wake up in the middle of the night and think about something. Then you're just ruminating on it. You got to know the difference between thinking and ruminating and, and real, like, real worry. Worry to the fact where you can't, you're not doing anything, you're just worrying about worrying, right? And you get this catastrophic situation uh, in your brain of like, oh, if this happens, then this happens, and then I won't have this, and then I'm not going to have money for my family, and then, this, right? That's, you're, now you're in a downward spiral, right? And you need to, that's why I always say, you know, you should have a really great partner in crime in this. You know, if you're founding a company, have a co-founder, right? Because then you can really balance each other, because usually you, hopefully you're not in exactly the same biorhythms. The day that you're up, the other person might be down, and the, the next day it's opposite, right? So, so balance is really about not necessarily saying it's going to be 40 hours and it's going to be a, a specific way the week works 
every week. No, it's ebbing and flowing and the pendulum swings from more work to more life. If you, you need to get away, like for me, moving meditation was a, is a great thing. Like I get on a bike or go, you know, work out or I'm running or I'm just walking, but I don't have any digital devices on me. You know, the iPod guy does not use an iPod or any music <laughs> services when I'm, when I'm out and about. We've got a headline there, right there, Tony. We've got a headline, you know. The inventor of the iPod doesn't use the iPod, doesn't use the iPhone. You know, that, that's a headline right there. But it's true. You <laughs> need to right. have breaks from it, right? You need to have that balance. Yeah, you need to have breaks. And you just sit there and you absorb nature. You absorb the things around you so you can also learn from them. So you're not like, you just, you, you're kind of like, okay, I see this. And then there's this peripheral vision. You're actually in it and you're learning from it in some way. And I also find that some of the answers to my hardest questions, I learn at the weirdest times, you know, after a great sleep. It, when I'm in the middle of a workout or on a long bike ride, and I'm like, oh, boom. And you know what I do? I, then I do have the device with me. I'm not using it because it's emergency, whatever. And I type in that 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 answer, put it away, go back on it. And then you know what happens? Maybe 30 minutes later, I even have a better answer than the one I just came up with, right? But I'm not, and I'm doing something that really absorbs me. If I'm, I'm on a road bike, I'm on a road bike, and I got to watch the road. I got to watch the traffic. I don't... And so I'm really in it, but somehow my brain goes boing and an idea or an answer, maybe not always a good one, but an answer pops in and then you go, oh, whoa, what was that? And then you go, you know, you know, 20 more miles. And you're like, oh, there's another one, right? I don't know. It's just, it's different than when you just, you sit there and focus on a problem and, and ruminate it and you think you're going to get the answer. It's usually not the way your brain works. You have to have a good night's sleep. You have to have some good activity outside of what you're doing to actually you let your brain have the space to process it. I, I think there's a lot of neuroscience around this point you're making. You, you basically focus on something like I do a bit of gardening, something mundane. And the brain, the part of your brain, the imagination piece kicks back in to almost let you know it's there with something you weren't thinking of. And um, I, I, I had, I've got a killer question coming up in a minute that my four and a uh -oh. half year old helped me craft because I, I played a board game with him this morning. Instead of reading the notes, I played a board game with him and I thought, this is the question I could ask you. And it's because I wasn't thinking about the podcast, you know, and I think, sure. I think yeah, what you're sure. saying yeah, is exactly. There important. you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You mentioned a co-founder there. I just, just for a second. I mean, I know, um, I, I know, for example, you worked with your, your wife in the past. I think that I actually ended up uh, combining my life. I married my, my co-founder. So I, fi I find that <laughs> then I don't have a work-life separation. And, and I, I, I well, think that's okay. really, really sure. useful. What, what do you think about that? How do you about co-founders working with spouses? What, what do you feel about those things? Well, I, spouses might be different and because I haven't really you know done, done that the way you have done it. Um, but... I always, I really try to separate business from personal or family. I, I don't like to have the family in the business, right? And, and have other family members in the business. There's just too many issues that come to light on that because you want to be the right family member, but you also want to do the right thing for the business, right? And sometimes it works magically. And obviously in your case, it did. But a lot of times it doesn't and it can leave scars and resentment for years, and so I try to separate the two, right? And to me, that's balance. Well, you know, that's also balance is that you're not, when you're sitting down and talking to a family member, you're not necessarily talking about your business all the time, right? And then it's hard to get away from. So obviously you found a, a certain recipe that works for you and that's great. But I've never really been able to do that. I've, I've seen really the negatives of, more negatives than I've seen positives of it. And 
you know, family, businesses come and go, teammates come and go, family members do not, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I've actually fallen out my older brother trying to work with him. So this formula hasn't always worked for me. I think you've got to have um, a very clear definition on what work, who does what, and respect each other and give each other distance and space. There's lots of rules around it, but it's fascinating. In the book, I actually had a thing where I had my uncle. Um, I asked my uncle for money to do a startup that I, you know, mm. I, I, I did. And I felt terrible for like 15 years. <laughs> that I lost, I think it was, I was a, you know, I was in college and I lost, I think like 5000 or $7,000 of his money, right? And uh, I felt horrible for years. And I just, and he was just like, at some point, you got to give it up, Tony, don't worry. I'm not, you know, <laughs> but you get that, you get that thing of like, I let you down, you know? And oh, yeah. what's the difference between business and, and family, right? And it's just, it gets squishy. And sometimes you just don't want to have that cloud your decision making. That's that's true. I mean, the family and friends round is very common, isn't it? Like raise money from your family and friends, you, what you're talking about there. So, I mean, people listening, <laughs> that's what they get told all the time. And and so, you know, is, is it a question of maybe uh, just just accepting that time when your uncle invests? That's just the way life is. You, you know, he's taking a risk. He knows it. And, and, and more an adjustment on your side to to, to just not be so yeah, empathetic around problem. it that was my problem not his and that's because uh, i was like i said i was in college and i didn't understand really well that like oh no i'm gonna bet i'm betting on you but i understand that th i could lose it all and you know what most likely i will lose it all but i want to bet on you to try to help you right i think that's the framing you have to come with and if anybody's in it like oh my god you know you have to have an open conversation if friends and family invest like look i'm gonna try my best but I have to let you know that if you cannot afford this, if you just think it's going to make 2x or 10x or whatever it is, even if I was successful in the past, I don't know it will be, okay? I don't want your money if that's going to cloud our relationship, right? Because life is long, you know, and I'll have another idea another time. And maybe you should invest later when I've gotten, you know, more, a better idea of what we're doing if you're really concerned about it. It's not that I don't want you to have the opportunity. What I don't want is to have the risk of us having a fallout be, and losing a great friend or a family member over, you know, $10,000 or whatever it may be. So you got to be very open. And I didn't have that with my uncle. Um, and then ultimately we did and it was all clear and it was fine, you know, ultimately. But, you know, you do have to be very open and honest with people and make sure everyone understands that do not invest this money unless you know you may never see it again. I think it's a great lesson for my listeners and it's one uh, coming from you I think is so powerful because a lot of people are told just go and raise money and I think when you're pitching for money you're overselling quite often so you're all, you know that if you don't believe who's going to believe and you have yeah. to, you have to manifest that belief in yourself and your ideas and other people it's infectious if you do it well it's infectious and people are like yeah I'll give it to you but then you have to go wait a second are these investors or these family members who just want to you know make money for them their family like if that's that, go do it somewhere else. If you're in and you're investing in me and what have you, but you've got to be very open and honest about it. Mm. No, I, I think it's such good advice. How do you find a co-founder? What, what was what was your process for finding co, co co-founders? They find you at the same time. It's kind of this, it's this, you know, just kind of like your partner, your life partner. You, you kind of find it together. If you're always searching, right, you usually don't find what you're looking for. Um, but it's, it's some, it's some weird thing because it's in a network. It's usually 
people that you talk to for years and you see eye to eye in certain things, but they bring a complementary skill set and and or a, a different view of the world, um, so to speak. And you just have it's when you have a co-founder, it's it's just like getting married. You're going to go through ups and downs together. You have to trust each other. You're going to have the saddest moments. You're going to have the up moments together. You're going to have to move on and through it. You're going to have a baby, so to speak, whatever you're building, whatever your product. Or You really have to have a, you can't just like have a shotgun marriage. Like, oh, I met this person two weeks later. We're going to be co-founders. No, you need to date and have premarital sex before you get married <laughs> to make sure this is all going to work. <laughs> yeah, the world is changing, isn't it? But yes, what, it I, is. I, 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 uh, your book is amazing. I, I, the link's below for those that want to buy it. We're going to give away a signed copy as well. I'm going to tell you how in a minute. I, 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 when I was reading it, um, well, I had it on audio um, so because uh, I'm dyslexic. But I, I found that you could have given it many titles, you know, follow your heart and get rich, habit breaker, reinvent yourself, follow through, brand building. I just, how did you come to the name build? Do fail learn how, was another one. Exactly. Well, by the way, um, in case I forget to say it, uh, do fail learn to me sounds like a new school. DFL. I really like it. I think just, just planting a seed there. Um, I'd, I'd love you to fix the education system. Uh, so, so, I, but, but, but how did you come to, I mean, how, what other title names were there? I guess is my question. Did you, did you go through a lot? There were, there were, um, um, there were three working titles, three different working titles. Um, what was the first one that we, that I put in the press release? That one was, um, what's your problem? <laughs> The second one was do fell learn and the third one was build. So it was right. like, you know, what's your problem? Sometimes the problem is you. Sometimes the problem is the place you're in. Sometimes the problem is the environment, you know, the, the time, you know, are you, are you at the right time? So what's your problem? You're yeah. right. Sounds like and a movie. And then when they make your movie, they'll make that. That's what your movie will be called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who will play you in a movie, do you think? Oh, I, I have no idea. Oh, uh, <laughs> I never even considered that. <laughs> That's something to think about. I, 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 uh, maybe my audience can make some suggestions down below. Hopefully, but, somebody um, much more attractive. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 the name has slipped my mind, but the guy who uh, um, uh, was in the uh, all, all the uh, uh, movies where he's climbing, fighting people in buildings, blowing up, and uh, oh, Bruce Willis. Mind, Bruce Willis. That's it. Yes. See, he used to also have hair. Yeah, so, he did too. Unfortunately, he got out of acting a few months ago because of his yeah, uh, I know. mental I know. But disability. He might, he, he, hopefully, um, you know, we will see him again. Uh, he's such a brilliant actor. Oh, he's a brilliant I think, actor. I think, brilliant actor. I, I love he, watching I, him in the 80s and the 90s. It was always fun. I think he could play you. I think he could. I think he could pull it off. <laughs> but um, there's, 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 there was a lot of questions that came in uh, on, on TikTok. Now, um, no offense, Tony. I was surprised how many people didn't know you. You know, like for me, I've known you since 2013 when I started a company called Nest and realized accidentally I was uh, leveraging off your brilliant brand. And so I, I found out about you then and then have been obsessed with you since, really. You've been an inspiration to me and a lot of my team. I've often used a lot of your quotes with my own team. Um, but I, a lot of young people don't know you. And sure. so I think when, when, when trying to educate my team, uh, educate the, the TikTok community a little bit about you, maybe talk a little bit about like what you see the future being. So a lot of the young people now are talking about things like Web3 and Metaverse and NFT. I know you've said, fuck the Metaverse. Um, yeah, maybe uh, just I'll say it for you. Fuck the Metaverse. 
<laughs> Brilliant. I will use that in our marketing material. But but I, I but I think a lot of people, even if we don't want them to go into the metaverse, what the feedback I'm getting from from this new generation is that the metaverse is like us saying to the young, "Don't watch MTV," or um, you know, we it's going to happen basically. So so the theory is, sure. well, if it's going to happen, shouldn't good people be in the arena to make sure the experience is good? And couldn't the metaverse be a product that actually, for example, reduces our use of real world products? like plastic so hasn't the metaverse actually got a place and shouldn't good people be in the arena to make sure that it actually fulfills on its potential okay so let's let's be clear there are ar and vr technologies uh augmented reality and vr technology i totally believe in those and i invest actually in companies around those because they're solving real problems okay they're they're and they're bringing superpowers to 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 to, to people right so to me they are really great the metaverse for a social connection, all right? If all the TikTokers, all the other ones really want to go dancing, are they gonna dance in the metaverse with headsets on and they're gonna get social and they're gonna have a social connection? They can look into each other's eyes and really fall in love? You know, I see a lot of people like on Tinder and all those, people were like, oh, you know, online dating or whatever it was, you know, that now it's, a, it's not even a, when I was, it was 1999, you know, just after the internet was created, I started, I actually went on uh, one of those online dating things and was looking and people were like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And I'm like, no, I think that's, this is natural. This, what's wrong with that? And now we see it, it's everywhere, right? And that's great. But what happens is you use the tools to meet people, but then you actually really connect with people when you're face to face. You can look into somebody's eyes, into their soul, all right? When we're saying we're going to make human connection, we're going to dance and party and we're going to have meetings and we're going to do everything in the metaverse when we can't even see somebody's face. It's a graphical represent. It's a cartoon character, you know, and when we're doing it right now live over with video and I can look into your eyes and see how you react and see your micro expressions and everything. It's a very, very different form of connection. Now, the other thing I want to say is whenever we put more technology between each of us, it invites more toxicity. When we put more anonymity, when we put more and, you know, um, when we put anonymity, we don't have a real connection. Most of the people would never say the things they say online if they're really even just talking to them on, on video chat, right? So the reason why I say fuck the metaverse is the application that's being set. I really believe in VR uh, for you know, 3D collaborative design. I believe in AR for superpowers for see what I see when people can put on glasses and call in an expert and help them with their homework or their, um, you know, they might be doing something on a manufacturing line or maybe they're doing surgery and they call in an expert and they can look through their eyes with their AR glasses. I think that's great. But when we're trying to make human connection, it's a different thing. And my worry is this. To the, everyone out there, the TikTokers, TikTokers out there, this planet is the only thing we got. Don't, you can think about Mars or moon or whatever it is. Trust me, this is the only planet we have. If we don't take all these brilliant brains, all this scarce capital and apply it to existential crises, not the metaverse, because I don't know what it's solving. When you're doing that, you're, you're part of the problem that's sustaining the climate crisis that we have. So either you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So you need to be doing something personally and professionally to help with the climate. That means how are you consuming? How are you recycling or reducing consumption, right? How are we making sure it's, uh, you know, um, 
uh, a circular economy so that we're taking trash and turning it into treasure. That's personal. Professionally, you don't have to be in a climate change related business, but you can be doing better things at work or the things that you're producing to make sure you're not hurting the environment or helping the environment in some way, even if you're not making giant you know, wind turbines or something like that. All of us can do something to do that. If you go into the metaverse and you spend all of your time there, either personally or professionally, and you forget about the climate crisis or these other things, human health, right? Societal problems that we have, then you're, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. And if you're apathetic or indifferent about it and say, oh, someone else will take care of it, you're part of the problem. It takes all of us to change. And so I am not against um, all kinds of technologies. I'm against when they're not in service of the humanity, true humanity. They're not in service of our planet or in service of our society. So when I see 30, 40, 50, 60 billion dollars wasted on people dancing in a metaverse when we have existential problems, that tells me you're 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 trying to get away from the realities we have. You're divorcing yourself from the realities we have. And this is actually the time when you can do great for the planet but you can also do great for, for um, yourself because there's so many economic opportunities to go after that. Metaverse, yeah, maybe, but let's talk about the problems we have right now and fix the ones we have. So in 100 years, we can have an incredible metaverse because we fixed it and we're not, we're not boiling and we've roasted ourselves on this planet and living in refrigerators with VR goggles because we didn't take care of the problems we have around us. I, you know, Tony, I have no skin in this game, so I, I'm just interested in in kind of debating both sides. But, but sure, for the sake of it. devil's advocate, is there is there an argument to say that, for example, um, Adidas launched a clothing line as NFTs, and people bought those NFTs, those shoes, those jackets, sure. and and they didn't buy stuff in the real world, which actually means less consumption of the planet's resources, and they spent their money on these virtual goods and they share them with their friends, sure. and you know it kind of reminds me of like the iPad being you know a replacement for a book or the kindle being a replacement for the sure. book maybe less trees no get chopped down is, is there an argument for that oh i think there absolutely is and you know i'm not for you know i'm all for my kids play play online video games and they even play you know vr based video games too and they can have avatars but they're not trying to say we're going to replace human connection right they're playing a game that's entertainment i'm all for vr entertainment those kinds of ar entertainment in service of something. But when we're saying we're trying to replace human connection and meetings and how we're gonna do that with this disintermediated interface, and I already see that they have to have human bouncers in these metaverse clubs, because this is not new. This was, <laughs> there was a company called Second Life, right? And they have to have human yes. bouncers because we don't have the algorithms necessary to remove the toxicity. They actually have to physically, not physically, but virtually bounce people out and they need humans to do it. This doesn't scale. So let's go and work on the technology. We haven't been able to get, you know, toxic commenting right on blogs. We haven't been able to get, you know, bad things on TikTok to get rid of, right? We see all this everywhere. And all of a sudden we're in the metaverse. It's going to become that much better, right? Let's go work on, let's go work on things and make sure it's right before we suck people in and distract them away. Because to me, all we're trying to do, or certain, not we, but certain companies are trying to distract you from the problems and get you sucked in more. They get more of your data, more of your attention, and then you, you, um, you become a slave to it, right? 
we got to have a balance outside of it. And, you know, VR, digital devices and de- and and digital tux, uh, um, digital addiction is real. It's mm. absolutely real. I've had firsthand experience with it, okay, with friends and family members, and they've had to go to detox camps. This stuff is real. I'm not saying we shouldn't have the devices by any means. I'm saying so we should use it in service of humanity and our connections, not distracting and giving more places where advertisers can just, you know, you know, just just feed into it. Like Ready Player One. I love that movie, by the way. Love the movie. But Ready Player One, you know, for a, a narrow window of time each day, great. But it becomes everything. I'm going to live in it all the time. You know, we're hearing all. I can't eat in the metaverse. I can't breathe in the metaverse. <laughs> There's still some human connection we need to have to this planet. No, I, it's it, it's it's a very important point of view, and it, it's nice that uh, you know someone who is so, I guess, um, involved in creating the very devices that have actually spawned things like TikTok. I, I say to the TikTok community, to their shock, that probably without your work, there wouldn't be a TikTok. So, so, so there's some, some, you know, which, which to that to shocks them, but it's, it's true. But, but when you were building these products, I bet you, you, did you ever sit down and predict just how addictive they would become or, or you were just solving problems for people really, right? So, right. So, so, solving pain, solving pain. Um, and at the no, end, goes these are unintended consequences that happen. These are unintended consequences, Right. So you, you build this device to like, okay, we're going to web browse. We're going to, you know, we're going to have an iPod or music on the go. And we're going to be able to do uh, communications, whether that's voice or email or texting or something. Like that. That's really what the sum total of the iPhone was at the beginning. It took another year and two years for it to become a mobile platform. And then social mobile happened after that and TikTok and what have you. So it, it, it was just the people building on top of all of these things. I look at the, I look at the iPhone as a refrigerator. Okay, the iPhone is simply a refrigerator. <laughs> you can put in your refrigerator bad food. You can put good food in the refrigerator. You can overconsume good food or overconsume bad food in the refrigerator. It's just what you put in it, right? You, we still have a scale in the re- a real world so that if we overconsume food, we can have some feedback mechanism to try to help us. We can do certain kinds of, are we healthy, right? Are we healthy with our consumption, our food consumption? Well, how? what tools? What tools do we have to help with our consumption of digital, right? Is it healthy consumption? Are we consuming, over-consuming it? We need to have tools. Not having to be, you know, I don't want to be everyone's nanny and saying, no, you can only do it three, like the Chinese are doing, right? You can only have certain amount of games for a certain amount of time and blah, blah, blah. Not trying to be that. Trying to give people the nutritional information, and the scales and the different types of tools they need so they can self-moderate if they so choose. If they don't, I, that's okay. You know, I, I, I've seen where, where that goes. And, you know, we see a lot of people hurting their physical health because they overconsume. Well, I hope that other people won't do that with their, their digital health as well because we need all – and their social health, right? Sometimes they just strip away even their social health. Um, so – I, I iPhone is just a refrigerator and you get to choose what you you want to put in it and how often you consume it. But, you know, we need to have if you want it feedback and we can't just let these advertisers, these these platforms just allow us to get sucked in without having us being able to regain control. Mm. Just wonder if Steve Jobs has stood on stage that first day when introducing the iPhone and said, I'm about to introduce to you a brand new refrigerator. 
It wouldn't have been the same, <laughs> would it? It wouldn't have been the same. And 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 actually, the, one of the audience questions um, was: um, Were you offended the day that Steve Jobs deleted you on stage from his phone? Oh, he was just showing the he was just showing the the features of the the phone and how you can swipe and stuff like that. Right? There's urban legend around it, right? That it was some personal swipe at you, literally. No, no, no. Steve wasn't like that. It's it's funny how these rumors build, isn't it? And uh, yeah, they, people, they, people love to build controversy. Rumors online, we we see it all the time. It, it's not just online; we see it in all the British tabloids and all the pages. They just, you know, you've got to generate some kind of controversy to get clicks, right? And this is yeah. this is my point about you know letting media take over misinformation, these kinds of things can out, get out there and snowball and hurt our society and hurt people because somebody just wants a one cent click on an ad, but they don't care what they've done to the person or the society in that in their quest for one more click. Yeah, that's so true. And that that's, I mean, I guess this is partly what I'm trying to get to by debating the metaverse for a second, that the technology needs a counterbalance. And if we just let the people that are using social addiction to drive value, as TikTok has done, why shouldn't we be in there? Uh, for example, the way I look at it is hardware products seem to be neutral, like Apple's not developing a social media site that's making people addicted. So it's not the device's mistake. Which Correct. is what people try to blame the device. It's the people that have used the platform. And you mentioned this in your book as well about Jeff Bezos. You mentioned before about how he wanted to do uh, a, a, a more product, physical product, and, right. and you told him no, uh, and you were right, of course. Um, but 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 um, but people can't help themselves. But there is an interesting uh, disconnect. It seems to me that the hardware companies aren't controlling the software companies uh, as they should. Well, it's, Apple's much more than a hardware company. It's a, it's a full systems and platform company. I um, mean, it has services, you know, content, Apple Music and Apple Books and all those things. Um, but, uh, you know, back before COVID, um, there was this whole digital addiction, you know, rant that everyone was going on. And I went on it as well because I saw it. I had kids. My, my son, my oldest, was born three weeks before the iPhone was in, introduced to the world, right? So my kids have only known a world with digital devices everywhere, right? I, I And I saw family members and friends have digital detox issues. They had digital addiction and they needed to go to detox. And I said, as a parent, there are lots of families suffering with these digital devices everywhere and they need to have the scale and the you know, scale to show how much of consumption, not just uh, their kids are doing, but also they are doing. And they also have to have the tools, especially for kids, to be able to control what they see. Because once kids see something, they can't unsee it, right? And so what I was advocating for, and this was in 2017, I think it was, 2018, I went on a rant. And I went on a rant that made me very unpopular with people at Apple saying, we need to have tools. We need to have First, the scales to give us the information and to the tools to help us control what we put on our devices and the information to help us choose wisely. Right. Think of nutritional labels on the side of boxes when you consume food. Right. Mm. Here's the good stuff. Here's the not so good stuff. And you can make a more informed choice. Still, those are not perfect, but it's more than nothing. And if you look now, we do have screen time tools. Right. Not perfect, but better than nothing. To help Very you scary find when out they how, pop up as well. Yeah. 
We have some labeling, privacy labeling now on, on, on apps when you download. We need to go much for, further with those, those information labels, those digital nutrition labels. Like let's say, oh, they say this game is for a four-year-old and better, right? But it's ad sponsored. And those ads, many of them, most of them are not for a four-year-old, okay? You need to know how they're making their money and what they're gonna serve up to your kids or yourself for that matter. Because some of that stuff, I'm like, what is this weird stuff? My daughter comes running in and going, what is this, daddy? What is this? I'm like, oh, my God. But I thought it was a four-year-old, a game for a four-year-old. And it is. But they use toxic ads to get kids to click on this stuff. So these things still need to get fixed. I, I don't think we're 50% of the way there to fix it. But, you know, I, you know, I understand when you're a teenager and you're 15 and 18 and every, you're rebelling and you're like, forget the old people. And, you know, like me, you know, I was there, too. I agree with you. But when you're four, five, six, seven, eight, I'm sorry, but parents have, a, you know, kids are need to, you know, grow up and and in 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 a in a scaffolded, secure manner that doesn't shock them or cause trauma. Some of the stuff they can see online can cause real trauma, and they don't know it, right? And you might not hear about it um, as a parent. And so I'm not trying to be a nanny. I'm just saying, let's give us the information, let's give us the tools, let's make better choices. And for people who are certain ages, they do need to have scaffolding and they do need to be protected because they can't make all the best choices. And especially when people are just serving things up and they didn't even choose, right? So look, I, you know, at the right place at the right time. I do not wanna be a nanny. I don't wanna be a naysayer, the old dude. Um, Cause I love, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I do love some of the stuff on TikTok. There are just so many really creative people out there. I'm like, wow, that is funny. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And you know, so, and I can get sucked in sometimes. Um, and so, you know, uh, but we need those tools, whether you're young or old to be able to, to help with the digital consumption, just like we do for nutritional, uh, you know, food and nutrition. Mm. No, I, you know, Tony, something I've, 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 I've admired about you for a long time and, and, and you, you know, you talk about it in your book and, and I think that this concept of like, you don't have to be popular all the time, you know, you just, you just have to say what you feel. And, and, and when you talk about this subject, I, I think it's quite special that you talk about it because there's quite an easy pushback on you, which is, well, you invented these products, you know, so, yeah. so it's almost like your fault, right. which it isn't, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's very brave. Uh, uh, you don't need to do this. You don't need to say these things, and and you could have a very comfortable life. Sure. I respect it a tremendous amount. And what I also like about it is you're giving practical steps that we can take to fix the other fifty percent that you're talking about. Don't just complain. Don't just complain. Exactly. Bring solutions. Think about it. Go make it better because we we created these tools. Humans created all this stuff. We can make it better. It's not like it came from an alien planet and we don't know what it is, right? We, we can make it better. And, and when you create something and you don't like the way it's being used or you, you think it's damaging people, you should speak up about it, right? And you should try to defend that because, you know, I, I always thought and, you know, you, you think about, you know, splitting the atom, right? Splitting the atom can be done and we can make all kinds of, you know, power in, in a clean way. Yes, I understand people are saying, oh, there's nuclear waste and all that stuff. But then there's the alternative, we can make bombs with it, right? Technology is neutral. It's what we choose to do with it and how we modulate it as a society and what we say is acceptable or not. And the people who create it 
have to be one of the biggest voices in it, even if they're not in charge of it anymore, to help try to modulate it and help find solutions to better society. You know, is society better off or not without an iPhone? I say it is. A smartphone is incredibly powerful. People now have computers around the world. They have information that they can, they can read and they can better their lives, their families, their, their, their societies, their communities because they have information that they never had access to, right? But there are, are downsides to it and people exploit the technology for bad. We need to push back against that, right? But again, not trying to be a nanny, what's the right thing for a, a, the most majority without people exploiting the technology for their own gain and hurting individuals or societies like we do see a lot happening today. Mm. No, it's, it's, it's good advice. And I think if people are listening, there's lots of startup opportunities in the solutions, right? People listening might want to start a business. There's lots of ideas people can start to solve the very problems that you're talking about, huge opportunity. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely something we, we, uh, we need to talk about. We need to have open conversations. I miss those. I feel like people are divided into two camps on everything these days. Right. So, so this is a very deep question. Do you have any regrets? Do I have regrets? I think I have one. I have one regret that I didn't go to see Steve um, before he died when he requested me to see him because I he wanted to talk about the thing I was doing at Nest. And I wanted to get it right before I showed it to him. And I waited a few too many weeks and then he couldn't see me. So I didn't jump at it. I was like, oh, I got to get this thing right. I got to get the Nest learning thermostat right. And then I want to go and show him to show him like, here's the things that I learned. And here's the here's what we built, the team we built and the product we built. And I waited a, a few weeks too long to go and see him. And I wasn't able to have that last, you know, that last discussion with him. And that I think was a regret. Wow. Yeah, just well. Uh, it just kind of made me feel a bit emotional. That's, um, yeah, I, I think in life, it's, it's a good lesson for the listeners, isn't it? You know, ring your mother. You never know. You, love them, you, know? you never and know. Just, you know, don't take every moment to uh, appreciate uh, the people that you uh, respect and love are here when you can. That's something you said in your book. A lot of your mentors have left. That's one of your motivations for writing the book. It's almost like a legacy to share your knowledge with the world, right? And I think... Um, it's it it fascinates me how many when you get older the only regrets you have are the things you don't do right that's right that's right you know you can you can you can fail and you can say oh, i shouldn't have done that but you know what you learn from it and you grew from it but if you don't i hate that shoulda woulda coulda feel like a lot of times in my you know i should have done that i would have done that i could have done that a lot of times whenever i start to feel that way i go and do it because you do have to take those chances right uh, even though it might be hard or what have you, you know, quitting or you don't want to have those shoulda, woulda, coulda moments when you it could have changed the outcome. Like, it, you know, the screen time stuff. I didn't want to have that. I wanted to clear on my conscience that I went and I fought a company that I love and uh, people that I love to make them do the right thing for screen time. Um, I just didn't want to have that because it was like I also had this other thing, which is my family and lots of families out there that needed those tools. Right. So. You know, that's, uh, you know, those are those moments when you have to, you have to, you know, stand for something. I respect it. A few last two questions and then 
I'll let you get on with your day. So much appreciation for you giving so much uh, of your time today. First question, what do you want to learn, Tony? What do I want to learn? I get to learn every day. I have set up an environment where I get to learn about great uh, entrepreneurs, great brains, uh, um, amazing technologies that can help the planet, society, or health. I, I have learned how to learn through others and, 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 and work with them and understand that I don't have to be the person always with all the ideas. I can work with teams with great ideas and help them further their goals. So for me, I've learned how to learn at scale through many different people. And to me, I would never give that up. So, you know, maybe I could learn to be even, you know, hopefully a better person, a better human. Uh, I'm always learning in that domain, uh, learning to try to be healthier, learning, try to have better relationships, all that stuff. Um, but making learning a lifelong thing um, and making sure that it doesn't just stop at school um, uh, and learning in different fashions. Sorry. Um, what? Hello? <laughs> There's something that makes me smile about it being ah. a landline. Yeah, right, exactly. A landline call. <laughs> There's the irony. The I, irony. I, I, I never <laughs> use them. Never use them. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I've seen anyone use them since the 90s, thanks to you. So uh... <laughs> so anyway, so, so, so really learning, learning's, learning for me is really everything. I, and I, I think that's another great lesson in your answer, which is, you know, you, you go to school uh, and then you leave school. You never stop learning, right? That's the key. And I think that's what, what, you know, what, what you personified with your permanent risk taking and you changing is so you learn, right? Right. Well, you're learning from the day you, 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 you're born, right? Yep. And you have to keep learning. And there's no a, a stay beginner, right? Stay beginner. It's in the book as well. Um, to me, that's very important because that leaves you open. It leaves you vulnerable in the, in the best sense of the word and allows you to um, discover things. You know, I could, be in, I could be in different cities in the world and as a, as a parent versus when I was single, the city looks very different to me. It's the same city, but it's very different because you have different points of view. And if you keep opening and expanding your points of view and the way you think about it, because version one of me looks at things very differently than version four of me, and I can learn different things at different times. I think it's really important to, to be open and understand that once you've learned something doesn't mean you can't learn again from that a, a similar experience. Even if you thought you learned everything about it, you have different ways of, of looking at it. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's important. And a lighthearted question to end the interview, which is um, if you could interview anyone alive or dead on, on a podcast, who would it be? Wow. I think I would, I would want to, I think I would want to interview Mahatma Gandhi. And the reason being was he took a very different way to bring independence to India, right? A nonviolent way. We see all the time, violence, 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 violence. He did it in a very different way. It was very committed to it. And to understand um, his mindset, to try to get those other things, because we always want to fight. We want to fight. And he fought in a very, very different way. And I think that contrarian way is a lot of ways 
that we could learn from um, instead of the this, this same, you know, tried and tested, not necessarily the, the best way, maybe uh, over the millennia of always fighting for everything, you know, physically fighting. I don't see you buying Twitter. Now it's going cheap. I might be wrong. <laughs> I don't think so. I had a uh, Elon, Elon and I were together for dinner um, like four nights ago. And so we had a nice Twitter conversation. And uh, I think he had some good ideas, actually. I think he has some good ideas in there. Yeah, he's got some good ideas. I think you could say that. Yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, um, and so that's great. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I'm sure yeah, well, if he's, ta- he's tapping up you, if he's tapping up you for ideas. I, I've got a feeling I know where it might go. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's all good. But Tony. You are a rock star, someone that's influenced my personal life and business life in tremendous ways. And I thank you for taking time to come and share uh, your story. Everyone needs to buy your book. That's what I feel. And, and I, I, I'm grateful that you've taken time out to share yet more knowledge with me and my community today. You are a rock star. Hey, Simon, thanks so much for the time. I just want to remind the readers, uh, the readers or the buyers of the book, what have you, all net proceeds... All the money that I would ever see out of this book is going to be matched by me five times and it's going to go into a climate crisis fund to fund companies and startups and entrepreneurs helping the planet in disruptive, positive ways. Okay, so there is no money in this. This is giving back and honoring my mentors and then actually multiplying whatever is made from this book and trying to help the planet that we all love and live on. And so if you if you want to be supportive, um, your your money is going to go a long way. It's not just going into my pocket. That's not what this is about. It's about giving back. So um, I hope people do read build. I hope they learn a lot. I think they can. Um, and hopefully avoid a lot of the mistakes I've made over those 35 years of my career. Uh, and I'm still be making them, but hopefully you'll avoid the ones, uh, the ones that I, uh, the ones that, uh, stumped me. Well, uh, what a perfect end to the Unicorn Podcast, Purposeful Project Unicorn Podcast with a purposeful book by a purposeful person. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks, Simon. I hope you found today's podcast both inspiring and useful. And if you need more help, visit PurposefulProject.com where all the resources to help you start and grow a business are free.